out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of the Venus flytrap, because I recently spoke to Alex Novak to find out more about life, love, poetry and all that other groovy stuff. He was also in quite a few other bands, including The Tempests, who've got a compilation collection of material that's come out on Optic Nerve Records. So if you want to know any more information, just go to Optic Nerve Records and you'll find The Tempest and all their material out on their particular label, all the way from Preston. Anyway, look. This is the interview with Alex. So after several minutes of casual chat, we got down to that very exciting subject that was the early formative years. And after chatting about this and that, glam, basically. And David Bowie, Alex then starts talking about life as well. Anyway, Alex, it's over to you. I think that was uh, a kind of the punk primer, wasn't it? The, all the glam stuff like T-Rex and Bowie. Yes. And obviously Roxy Music and obviously Craftwork was going at the same time and there was a lot of interesting stuff. Sparks. Yeah. I mean all all, all these all these uh groups of people had had a influence on the coming of punk, especially some of the American stuff, like obviously Egan and the Stooges and the Velvet Underground. And and people forget uh Pete Bands like Talking Heads and Perubu and uh, New York Dolls have been going a long time before punk had happened. And obviously the Americans had coined the term punk uh, before when they were t- talking about garage and punk bands. Yes. Um, from the 60s and you know, late 60s, early 70s. Yes. And so what do you, did you sort of, I mean, at that period, did you, had you sort of come from a sort of a musical family or were your parents at all musical no not at all um we we kind of i think one of the things that uh, punk did was kind of take down that barrier between uh the people you saw on stage which, which seemed very distant and kind of mysterious and how did it all happen that kind of took all that away and basically allowed people like us just to get up on stage and just have a go with very, very basic musical knowledge. But it's almost like a year zero. So that would have been the eyesores uh, with with my brother, John, who will appear later on in this uh, discussion, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but basically, it allowed people with minim- minimal uh, musical knowledge just to kind of get up and have a go and use that as a kind of starting point because it didn't really matter. It's the kind of more more the uh, the feeling and the ideas than the actual musical ability. Yes, absolutely. I think also we seen Alice Cooper doing school out, schools out was also quite an anthemic kind of number as well, really, which kind of um, obviously upset one's parents. Which at that stage it wasn't that difficult, really, because it was such a generational gap in the seventies of that, especially the early glam period. Because you know, even though people like Sweet look like kind of builders in glam, they still look quite. <laughs> they they still look completely different to your parents yeah, and yeah. and the and the sort of the people who did national it, service. It's definitely defined kind of uh, a youth movement. 
yes. So people didn't dress up exactly like their parents. They, they, they were kind of defining their own look. Yes. And when did you, and did you sort of have a, a sort of a moment where, because I, you know, have to confess, I was just always very excited about playing music and listening. I was never sort of, I never took that great leap of being in a band. And in a way, I mean, we come from, I come from those sort of the East Anglian countryside where, you know, people played a lot of football and a lot of and a lot of kicking the football about in fields. But being in a band still seemed like a very otherworldly thing until much later. But by then, you know, you felt a bit like the moment had gone. So was it a bit of a scene where you were living that, that sort of had a bit more... Yeah, I mean, well, I was... Uh, I've been a, I was at art school, so obviously that's kind of a, always a kind of hotbed of... Uh, musical activity so a lot of bands formed at Northampton Art School one of which was Bauhaus I was I was in the same year as uh, Kevin Haskins and then uh, I think uh, Danny Ash and David J were two years above so that that's just a few, couple of people you know so that that i think being in an environment like a creative environment kind of sparks things off and then, then obviously all the stuff that was happening externally had a big big kind of influence on what was going on so people who, who were studying art also ended up starting uh bands which is not that unusual really no that goes goes back to the 60s you know well, it was a very sort of uh, well-tried-and-tested uh, thing, actually, wasn't it? So was your first band then, you mentioned, was this... That, was, that would have been the Eyesores. The uh, Eyesores. That was formed at, uh, when I was at art school and John was still at, uh, actually at school, you know, so... And this was... Yeah, one... That was our first endeavour. I mean, it was quite... Uh, like everything at that time, it didn't seem to last very long. We only did it for a couple of years, but we did play some gigs. We did play some gigs with early Bauhaus, uh, Bauhaus 1919, and it kind of, I think, uh, because things were moving so quickly from sort of punk new wave to post-punk, that um, it, it kind of fizzled out after a couple of years. Which moves us <laughs> quite nicely onto uh, religious overdose. Yes, so the the class. Well, just on that front of um, your first band, Isles. Did it? Did that sort of? Was that just more of a school? Either you went at school, you were at college. But with the other four members, one of them being your brother, was that a kind of more of a school kind of project that you put together? Even though you did release a, an album, didn't you? I did two cassettes at the time, which later we put out as as a, as a CD album. Uh, much later, but yeah, I mean, uh, no, it was that we were we were kind of serious about it. I mean, by the time it got going, I think the rest of the, the people in the band uh, had left school, so that they were doing that. We did have some serious intentions, but. I think events uh, were changing so quickly that yes. the whole punk thing was becoming um, too much. Too much of a. Initially, it was all about the ideas and doing what you wanted, and then it kind of ended up 
been more too too kind of uniform. You know, there's a certain look and a way of doing things. And obviously, because I've always listened to loads of different kinds of music, you you start picking up on other stuff. Like I mean, people like Cabaret Voltaire and The Fall, Joy Division, you know, The Cure, and all that kind of wave came in pretty quickly at the end of the eighties. Yes. Well, it was um, it was kind of interesting because it was still. I mean, I had an older brother who. Um, was seven years older than me, and he was in he was into that world that was prog rock. So I sort of, in a slightly well, I you know I was very young and just wanted to sneak into his kind of room and play his records. So I was a bit fascinated with, you know, the the world of Yes and Genesis, and then people like, I suppose Wishbone Ash, and then then he you know also had a bit of Deep Purple and Black Sabbath in there. So I would sort of listen to these very excitedly. And then quickly run out the room when he, or put them all away when he started to come back in the house again. So it was, it was kind of that, that you know. So punk never really sort of had that effect. Actually, it was, it was kind of John Peel in the early eighties when I started listening to his show that I, I started finding my own, I suppose, yeah, bands. I suppose you know it was that kind of great. Well, a lot, of, a lot of people who were were in punk bands did end up in sort of more post-punk. Uh, stuff so yes yeah and because because it's interesting because i can't remember the the band but i can remember this chap saying he was very young when he started and he was one of the first you know bands it wasn't the adverts but it was somebody who was really like really young and they had to sort of shoplift all their equipment but he was saying that he he saw once he saw his audience and they all looked like sid vicious lookalikes and he just thought i don't really want to go out there and do the set i think this is the time to give the band a miss really because it's it's become the thing we we told you know we didn't want it to be really which was a uniformed you know you've got to dress like this plus it's limiting you musically as well you want to a lot, a lot of people just want to, to go off in different directions, and it's I mean it's a it's a great period of you know you've got quite a lot of variety of stuff. Um, but the guys I met uh, again, the religious overdose guys uh, had been going, and I kind of joined. Um, again, Richard Formby was the guitarist was. Uh, Northampton Art School as well. He was doing the foundation year there, but he, he originally came from Leeds, so that that was always had a strong kind of uh, post-punk um, ethic up there, and he 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 he, he was kind of in, tapped into all the uh, more sort of northern bands like the Fall, uh, you know, the Factory thing, and some of the more kind of uh, experimental stuff like. Cabaret Voltaire, and um, there, were, there were quite a lot of kind of more like Throbbing Gristle and people like that. So all those influences came in. But also, I can remember he was into into bands like Can and uh, and some of the crowd rock stuff. So you know that kind of stuff from the seventies was kind of creeping into the the sound as well. Yes, and also Leeds had a bit of a narco punk scene going on with, with sort of you know lashings of, um, I suppose goth rock as well, wasn't it? I think the Sisters of Mercy came from Leeds. Yeah, the Sisters were from Leeds. Yeah, I mean, uh, plus they had a bit of a bit of a kind of more of a utilitarian kind of feel about it all and. The politics is quite strong, especially bands like uh, Gang of Four, Lopez, and that, those kind of people. Yes. Uh, 
<laughs> Jumble Wumble. So basically that kind of, that was, gave it a different slant and we kind of, I think originally we just had like a kind of a rhythm generator. It, well, I wouldn't call it a drum machine. It was just a kind of very, very minimal uh, rhythm generator. And we kind of, uh, songs were kind of made as opposed to, you know, chorus, uh, verse that kind of thing it was kind of it, they developed as you went along and especially live we kind of just started and see see what it went which, which is more like a crowd rock thing I'd say you know, we yeah. have the kind, of, kind of a rhythmic thing going on and then it's kind of slowly changing so was this with some um, religious overdose was this a, a band did you say it was a band that was already going and you sort of stepped into into the um yes well it was just the genesis of it i think literally they've probably been going six months or something like that yeah so, i mean when i joined we we did the first single with glass records which was controlled addicts um i think that nothing was recorded before i think there might have been some demo stuff but Basically, a lot of new songs were written when I was when I joined. Um, when we did, I think we did three singles with Glass Records uh, and uh, a couple of other tracks. So, so this was it. 25 minutes, Control Addicts, and then Ice Ice Edge Go, and then Ice Go uh, in the Century, and um, Alien to You, and then the yeah, Girl with You, yeah. And then, then Go with disappearing head, and then there was a track "Blow the Back Off It," which appeared on the compilation "The Wonderful World of Glass." Yes, that was the one, wasn't it? So yeah, yeah. so so then, decades later, dear old um, uh, yes, Optic Nerve finds finds your sort of this is so what they put out here, strung out on Heaven's High, is this kind yeah, of ba- a... basically we we did we did release something earlier this this year on Glass Records. Well, I suppose it's maybe two or three years ago now. Glass Records was a CD of religious overdose. Uh, it was the singles plus other tracks, but the the vinyl release is just purely the singles, really. Um, so it's it'll be both available on CD and vinyl now because this the, the thing we're doing with Optic Nerve is just purely a, a vinyl release. Yes, and what was it like? Um... Going back and sort of compiling this was that um, an enjoyable experience? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, obviously, I, I did a bit of it before, yeah. But yeah, I mean, for a record, I, I went for the, uh, the, the yeah the classic going through going through it chronologically, you know, doing the singles chronologically. I mean, the thing is, there is it's not like some of the other bands I've been involved with. There's a lot more material. Then, then you have to go through it and sort of sift through it and try and make it work in a certain order. I mean, with a religious overdose, there's not so much recorded uh, material as far as the studio is concerned. Yes, so and and, and I use that. it wasn't too hard. Yeah, no, but why are you sort of boggled that sort of forty years later, you know, it's it's um, still sort of being sort of poured over and sort of archived, and you know, interest in the band. 
is sort of probably well, good. Well, the thing is, I think everything needs a bit of time to be reassessed. I mean, going back to what I said before, when they put out the the that the, there was a a compilation called Nuggets, yes. which came out in '77, and that was kind of covering all those kind of '60s garage bands. And because of that, people there was a big interest in all the kind of psychedelic and you know garage bands from the '60s because of that compilation. And I think it's a similar kind of thing where people are, you know, discovering uh, stuff that's that was basically is basically lost for a while. Yes. And uh, being, re- I mean, we've I've redone the artwork as well on the album sleeve, so it's gonna it's gonna look really nice. Um, I think it's just reintroducing things to a new audience as well, because now everything's kind of available if you want to find it. But yeah. it's nice to be able to do because we never did an album with the religious overdose we never put an LP out so it's not actually it's the first religious overdose LP yes because I've I sort of realised a bit like what echo what you said that there is this passing of time that that seems to have given a lot of kind of material especially from the 80s i think it was like 25 to 30 years i've put down but in your case it was even longer where things yeah. have been reevaluated, and then i think at the time and it's not about looking back with rose tinted sunglasses for me it was just like it just happened and you were just part of going to see bands or being very excited about bands and then yeah, sort of yeah, things you're, move you're on really- you're in the centre of the eye as opposed to looking in, uh, analysing it. You were kind of just being carried along by what's going on. Um, the thing is, as well, there's so much stuff coming out that it's difficult to keep keep tabs on everything. And it's only in, uh, over a period of time that you'd be able, you start being able to catch up with all the different strands of what was going on. Yes, absolutely. And, um, you know, it was kind of interesting, you know, like the Nightingales had that film that um, King Rocker that came out last year, which was about, you know, Robert Lloyd. And then, you know, there was a film on the Wedding Presents album, George Best and The Chills and The Go-Betweens. And I think The Triffids has also just got a film coming out and there's been lots of books. And I think, you know, 10 years ago, no one would have been remotely interested well a few people but now people are really interested and actually listen to it slightly differently and thinking actually this is quite you know not not because we don't know what's going on with music now because we're just well I'm just an old person who struggles with it but it's just like an interest in listening to music that I missed the first time as well which was kind of in you know intriguing thinking because it was it was kind of hard to always access stuff if you read about it on the yeah know. but to be honest it's it's probably a good time because there's a lot of new bands I, I kind of listen to like Working Men's Club and uh Wet leg and oh, yes. warm warm douche, and they just remind me of a lot of sort of post punk bands. Yes, but there's definite there's definite kind of interest in that area. Even with new bands, they they sound like some of the bands were, that were experimenting in the late seventies, early eighties. Yeah, I'm finding there's but, a lot of female duos who are just bashing out music in their bedrooms or whatever, and um, actually they've got a really good. A lot of them have been 
Let's Eat Grandma was the other one as well as Wet Leg, who I just thought, actually, that sounds exciting. And I can't remember, There was a, I was listening to the Elton John show the other day and he interviewed a few really young women, well, girls, really. They were still going to school, actually. Um, but again, they had that kind of, you know, surprise that anyone was interested. But the sound they created had that kind of urgency and amusement. And I suppose a bit like, not quite like the fuzz box, but, you know, bands who just, oh, yeah, yeah. you know had a, a, a sort of excitement about them, which was good. So how did how did the band come to an end? Because you're sort of all poised at the early stages of the 80s. Yeah, well, going back to... I mean, th- things seem to change a lot quicker. I think being in a band one week and then you're in another band and the next week seems quite, quite a common thing, especially in the local scene. Everybody seems to be in somebody else's band. Um, basically, I think Richard, Richard Formby, uh, went, went back to Leeds, basically. He went to Leeds University to study, which made it a lot more difficult for the band to carry on. Yes. So it kind of naturally came to, to a halt because of the geography. But he, he went on to be involved in setting up a recording studio in uh, Leeds, also uh, doing stuff with the Jazz Butcher, uh, doing stuff with um, the ex-members of Spaceman 3, uh, especially Spectrum, right. uh, with Sonic Boom. And I know he's involved in bands like the Telescopes and stuff like that, and obviously involved in recording with a lot of Leeds bands. So he, he, he was well, very got very well established in Leeds and obviously he's still, still involved in various projects um, as, far, as far as I'm aware. Mm. Um, so it, it's, it's a bit like one thing ends and then everybody goes off into a different direction. And when... Um, Religious overdose came to an end. Um, I ended up uh, forming the Tempest, and again we ended up on Glass Records, uh, releasing uh, one single on Glass Records, and then we did uh, a single and an album for Anagram Records, yes. which was an offshoot from Cherry Red. Dear old Cherry Red, yeah, because on Glass yeah. you did. Lady left this and then Attic on the Zelda B side, didn't you, on Glass? Yeah. Did you have a good relationship with Glass Records? Yeah, I mean, yeah, strangely enough, it's come full circle. But, uh, yeah, I've always respected Dave, Dave's choice of bands because he was quite eclectic. He, he liked a lot of different kinds of stuff and, and he, he seems to be any, into anything left field. Um, and he's always been driven. If he likes it, he tends to put it out. Yes. You know, whether everybody else will like it, that's another matter. But he, he always goes by the rule of, yeah, he's got to like it first, really. Because it was quite a scene, because he had, you know, there was moments with David J, well, the, the Jazz Brizzo yeah, and right. the Spaceman 3, but he also had, you know, like people like the Jacobites and... Um, Nicky Sudden and uh, Dave Cosworth. So there was there was quite a... It had yeah, it's a, a good, uh, yeah, the good lineup of bands, uh, definitely in the uh, early to mid eighties. Um, yeah, plus uh, in Embrace, 
Um, I, I think he did some singles of the Pastels. I did actually. I did an interview with him. I think he had a moment with Nine Inch Nails and had some sort of strange kind of I'm sure. <laughs> some some some, yeah, because, some yeah, pressure from a record company saying, "I want to sign that artist," and there was a little bit of a like, "Sign it now." Yes, I don't know. It was one of those moments. Suddenly got yeah, him. he's always had a. I think I think the Glass Records. There was a connection with Northampton, which I was I go back to. He uh, he signed Wes Lisa, which was my brother's band, John's John's band. So he and. Uh, and via kind of Northampton, the Jazz Butcher was signed, and via the Jazz Butcher, Spacemen 3 was signed because they're from a rugby, and they played a lot in Northampton. So that there was a strong Northampton connection, and then then he kind of had a quite a early connection with the stuff that was going on in the states. Yes. So he had it, and I think the Darling Buds as well was on Glass. Where they might have had a moment from Newport, South Wales. I don't know. That was um, seems to ring a bell. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he, he probably he brought in quite a few people through his orbit, but a lot of bands seem to do sort of one-off singles or just contributed tracks. Um, I'm trying to think of the bands around that area. Well, it's Bron area. Uh, that that's that whole kind of uh, connection with Eilis and Gaza and that, that 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 sort of scene. Yes, and when you were going through, I mean, the eighties. I mean, this is kind of a bit simplistic, but yeah, there's the punk, and then there's post-punk, and then there's well, you know there's the new wave period and goth and new Paisley, and then sort of eighty three. There was a real sort of indie moment when the Smiths appeared, and it was all in a rough trade and the Smiths for five years, which kind of then produced all those bands like the, the Wolf Hands and the Yeah, Yeah, No and, um, you know, like June Brides. I mean, did that sort of influence you? Because you, there was sort of, there was a sort of song that I was listening to early, which really reminded me of one of those NME free, um, though you pay for the paper, but, you know, those singles. Was it Steen, Steensky and the mass media, the motorcade sped on? Can you remember that fantastic song? Basically, yeah. Uh, oh, Steam Kings. Who did, who did they become? Did they become Babylon Zoo? Was it Steam Kings? Oh, no. This was a kind of American guy. Because I think on ah, one, okay. one of your songs on Venus Flytrap kind of has a song which is kind of about the motorcade, I believe, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the one. Tracking me, we're jumping ahead. I thought we're still at the Tempest. Stage. Okay, yeah, sorry, I need to go back actually. So, but there was a kind of bit you went through a musical shift, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd say we were kind of more the alternative side of indie rather than the kind of more jangly end. I mean, I can. Uh, I think the Tempest were more kind of more the alternative, not quite goth, but more the, the, the darker side, I'd say. Yes. Um, and we did. Uh, I can remember Peel and uh, Kid Jensen playing playing the tracks a lot. Um, and again, we did stuff with. Uh, I remember we played with Bauhaus at the. Hammersmith Palais, and uh, we did a lot of gigs with Jazz Butcher. 
Good old Pat. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a shocker. Good old Pat. Good old Pat. What, a, what an artist. So you did one album, Five Against the, against the House. Yeah, I was on Anagram. Well, I was, I was uh, as I kind of mentioned earlier, uh, everybody seems to be in, in about two or three bands. <laughs> and uh, the people who were in the Tempest were in a were in another band as well at the same time, so it complicated things. Uh, one of one of which, the guitarist Mark Refoy, ended up being in uh, Spaceman Three, uh, and then Spiritualize, and obviously off since then Slipstream, and then he played guitar for Pet Shop Boys for a while. So it seems like everybody's kind of does something and then they shoot off in another direction. Oh, that's so, so funny. But the Tempest didn't last long either. It's only uh, maybe three years, two or three years. Yes. But you, you obviously, because most bands, I, I sort of, artists I interview, they have a few years and then they get sort of fed up and think, oh, I've had enough. But you obviously, you're persevering away here with, with great enthusiasm. And, um, oh, no. you've got to like music. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not just interested in producing it. I'm interested in hearing it, and go, I still go out and see bands. You know, when I'm not working, well, I, I'm always working with music in one way or another because I, I run a record shop. I run a record shop in Northampton, Spiral Archive Records, which I have done for the last over twenty years. And I DJ and I promoted, so it's all interconnected in a way. Yes. And did you um, had you by then left art school? Yeah, I mean, I was basically uh, doing some graphic design work. In fact, I did some uh, obviously doing doing all the record sleeves and. The promotional stuff for the various bands I've been in. Yes. I did, I've done all that. And also I did some stuff for uh, Cherry Red as well. I think I did a they re- reissuing one of Mark Boland's singles um, The Wizard so I did a sleeve for that and various other bits of it. So sort of doing bits and pieces of graphics. Did you get, because it's funny when you mentioned, you know, was that guitarist Mark um, was it Reef Reefroy. Well, Reefroy, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. you mentioned the Pet Shop Boys, but I, d- I remember doing an interview with a, um, a guitarist and songwriter called Bick Hayes, who was in Dark Star and Ring and Levitation. I'm sure he, one of his kind of moments came later in life, sort of guest, well, being the guitarist with something like, yes, the Pet Shop Boys, but it might not have been. I might be getting really confused. But it was just strange because it, it went from being a member who was in that sort of the travelling convoy kind of hippie community to suddenly being on a world tour with these kind of, you know, superstars in massive arenas. But um, Mark seems to have been able to do a slightly similar thing as well at places. Or not. I don't yeah, know. I mean, it's, uh... Actually, uh, oh, the quality just went. 
do you know the last two, the like literally the last minute all went a bit strange. Did you hear? I didn't hear any of that. What's the quality like at your end? It sounds okay to me. Okay, that just because I mentioned about sort of um, Mark and his kind of pet shop boys, and then you, when you replied, it went into a like basically alien life forms. I didn't hear. So sorry. What could you? Is that possible just to re- repeat that last sixty seconds? Yeah, yeah. Basically, uh, I think I was trying to say was that uh, you kind of start off somewhere, and you don't necessarily know where you're going to end up. And I think. Uh, Mark was uh, quite a talented guitarist, so obviously he was going to be picked up by somebody. And he he, he was, I think he was always looking for something else to do. So the, the, being in the right place, because he moved on at the space century and he managed to the, into the band. And then obviously ended up doing the other things which were spiritualised and then playing live for the Pet Shop Boys. Yes. Um, We've got it. Yes. But now he got that. Well, the thing is, then uh, obviously tempers came to an end because people were involved in other projects. So it seemed quite a normal thing at the time for various things to be happening. So the tempers stopped. And I was in contact with a couple of people from uh, Coventry and uh, fanzines um, because I, I did a lot of uh, posting stuff out to various fanzines and radio across the world for religious overnights, and I'd run into these two. And both uh, Martin, uh, who ran uh, Alternative Sounds in Coventry, and um, Alan, who ran Adventures in Reality from Coventry as well, were in London with a band called Attrition. Right. And I kind of, <laughs> I kind of ended up being in Attrition via this contact. So that is a classic example of uh, you kind of start some, somewhere and then you end up with uh, in a different route. And they both, they both moved from Coventry down to London with attrition and, and set up down there. So basically I joined attrition because I've been in touch. And there were a different prospect because that was a completely different scene. It's a very electronic, experimental scene. Yes. With bands like Test Department, SPK, um, some of the Australian stuff like Severed Heads and um, Bourbonese Cork, le- legendary Pink Dots, oh, yes. that kind of area. So it was a lot more kind of experimental and obviously not a traditional band setup. But that kind of made it interesting, yeah. Um, it was a completely different area. And how long did that last? And that would have been. Well, I, I was in the band for about, again, about two or three years. Um, I did an album on Third Mind Records, uh, Smiling at the Hippogonda Club. We did a lot of shows in London, and we got to Holland, we toured Holland. Um, and again, I, I was involved with, with the 
the design side of designing sleeves and things like that. Um, again, we kind of, I think, I think the conclusion I came to was it was always somebody, somebody else's baby or right. somebody else's project. So I think that's why Venus Flytrap happened because it's the thing I came up with initially. Yeah. Yeah. It was my kind of idea and I was leading it. And you said about persistence. Well, it's a lot easier to be persistent about something that you kind of uh, start rather than join, yes. as opposed to joining a, joining a band. Forming a band is a different thing to being part of a band. Yeah, absolutely. Did that feel quite a, an interesting challenge, having sort of a project that you felt much more sort of like you were taking the baton, so to speak? Hello. Hello. Yes. Sorry. Did you did you hear that last bit? Sorry. Uh, can you hear me now? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I can. Um, hold on. I'm just gonna have a quick drink. Basically, <clears throat> obviously, I learned a lot from being involved in the various bands I've been involved in, and I thought, well, I'm gonna apply what I've learned. To this new to this new situation and have some kind of plan I, I picked the name myself I, I decided on the name and kind of a, a rough kind of idea what I, what I wanted to do um, sort of set about finding some people to kind of join and this is where my brother brother comes back in again because uh, initially my brother John joined the band. Uh, with a, with another art school friend, so we started off as a three piece with a drum machine, but very very different to say uh, attrition it was a different prospect. It was a lot more kind of uh, some some sort of garagey bits, but linked with electronics. Yes. Uh, yep. I'm still here. Sorry. Yeah, but yeah, it was, it was a different starting point. I mean, uh, I think at the time I said it was something like the Stooges mixed with the Cotto twins. So the kind of rawness of the Stooges mixed with the kind of production values of Cotto twins. Yes, absolutely. Or AD sort of bands. And you recorded the legendary cassette, didn't you, live in Norwich? Now, how, this is Catalyst. What was that? Um, well, this is, this, is a, this, is, this is a attrition connection because Alan um, was connected with another band that originally came from Norwich. Uh, I think it, it, they were called the... Oh, let me get this right. Garden of Delights? Garden of Delights. I, I don't to... know if that rings a bell to you. No, oh, Delights. There's a guy called Roger For Forster. Roger. Uh, they ended. They end up in a band called uh, Dance Naked. Hmm. Dance Naked. Well, that's all. That's very intriguing. Roger Forster. Forster. Yeah. I mean, Alan. Alan was in a band called Stress uh, because he had his own label, Adventures in Reality. 
which actually release a fair amount of Co Coventry stuff. Yes. The Furious Apples yeah. and people like that. Yeah. So um, where did you where did you record this? Was this a live album you did or? I was I was in uh, the. Well, there's an art centre. Yes, the Norwich Art Centre uh, on St Benedict Street. Yeah, I think it was that, that, that place. Yes. What was your well, memory? What, what's your memories of? Oh, yes, it was premises, and then it changed. Yeah, the premises. Yeah. Yes. Um, well, he he sorted it out because obviously there was that connection. Uh, after attrition, he he was doing this project in uh, Norwich with people from Norwich. Um, one of which was Roger Foster. Um, so there was that connection. So we basically sorted a gig out in Northampton. And then we, in return, they sorted some out in Norwich. Yes, amazing. That is very... So that's the connection there. That's how we ended up in Norwich. Brilliant. There you go. And at that stage, then you get signed to Danceteria Records... Which was um, at the time. Yeah, very quickly. I mean, we, within within six months, we had a record out on Dance Theory Morphine, the first single. Um, yeah, that, it moved very quickly, and we were literally, I think, when the first single came out, we were playing in France. Uh, so it was quite a, a gear shift. Yeah, and had you started getting into that world of sampling and and sort of not slight cut ups as well? That's where I sort of got this kind of reference I mentioned. Yeah, it's sort. Of, I think I think um, Venus Venus Flytrap's always been a a bit of both the analog and the electronic. Some tracks have more electronic elements and others less, but. It's certainly, it's certainly in there. And as we've gone along, the later albums are more more electronic. I'd say. Yeah. Did you Depending feel? On the, did you feel a kind of a, a kind of musical shift at that stage? Because there was kind of, as the as the decade went on, there was a kind of a move towards things. You know, I suppose there was was people like the Orb had appeared, and then you know, like. KLF had started to appear, I think, at that stage, or were beginning to. And then, you know, there was the grid, and then there was kind of a lot more electronic music. I just wondered if you felt that that was kind of the way you wanted to go as an artist yourself. Well, not not as because they, they, we were more of a we were always a live band first, whereas a lot of those projects were studio projects, and then they kind of. Uh, did stuff live, but they, they tended to be more uh, clubs as opposed to kind of venues. We were we were, we were still a band, yeah. Opposed to kind of, I suppose they'd be like almost DJing in a way, but DJing live, you know, playing off uh, sequences or whatever. Um, yeah, so we were we, we were different different in that respect that we came from more from a band background, and whereas they'd probably come from a more DJ and electronic background. Yes, did you? But they certainly had an influence. I certainly like KLF. I thought KLF uh, uh, definitely had a lot of good ideas. Yes, if you get a chance, the film is fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did you? Did were you su not surprised? But w was it quite interesting that you're you're sort of the first single with the Venus Flytrap 
you know, Mars. It did well in Europe and France, didn't it, more than in the UK. Did that feel quite confusing, why, why things were sort of taken off elsewhere? Yeah, I mean, you could never, you could never, um, you never know where you're going to be kind of appreciated uh, more. As long as you're, as long as you're appreciated somewhere, that's the main thing. I mean, it was nice because we got to play in different countries as opposed to we played in London and other places. We were still doing that as well. I mean, we were still doing some good gigs with. Uh, Venus, we played with, uh, I can remember playing with the Mission, um, doing some uh, interesting places in London, especially the Crypt in Deptford. Right, yes. Have you ever heard about that place? It's, it was actually under a functioning church, the actual crypt under the church. And you get the vicar come down about 12 o'clock at night just to check everything was okay. <laughs> But they had a lot of interesting bands down there. I mean, I know Spaceman 3 played down there, and a lot of the kind of Alice in Wonderland kind of bands. The club um, nights with... There was um... a club. We, yeah. Well, yeah, Dave Vanian set up the club night in, uh, I think it was in Dean Street somewhere, but we played there. But it was kind of geared towards, like, almost like... Uh, you you mentioned uh, the Paisley scene, but it's like uh, not, not the Paisley scene, but it's more, more like new psychedelic sort of stuff. Well, I know that uh, Where, I guess bands like um, yes, because that was the guy who yeah. who set it up, Clive, who was in was it Doctors of not Doctors of Madness. Um, God, he had Do- that. Doctor and the Medics. Yes, he had the big single, didn't he? And he was one of the main DJs. It was a guy yeah. called Christian Paris, wasn't it? He was part of that Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. So, that was kind of when uh, the dam were moving into more kind of psychedelic area. Uh, in fact, there was a side project called Naz Nomad and the Nightmares. Oh. Where they covered a lot of 60s psychedelic stuff. Um, so yeah there's definitely a period where there was kind of a, a re-interest in sort of psychedelic music yes. or psychedelic Gary and Garrick well I guess well, yeah because, there were, I, mean, even I was going to say there was, there was people like I suppose Zodiac Mind Warp and then there was um, also people like the yeah. Cult as well started to play with things like that but then we had people like Zig Zig Sputnik that came along and sort of wanted to do some sort of rather quirky stuff, which I think they also played at the Alice in Wonderland as well, so, um, or something. Yes, well, they had yeah, a bit... I mean, it was quite an interesting... Uh, yeah. Yes. So how did you I all... Mean, uh, I mean, even, <laughs> even, I'd say, Spaceman 3 and Loop and people like that had a lot, you know. They drew on, on bands like 13 Floor Elevators and people like that. And the seeds. So. Yes, there you go. I digress. Yes, well, well, that's fine. But then you did you did sort of quite a few albums, didn't you, throughout the late eighties and then well into the nineties. And the sound, did you you know it changed a bit? But so did the lineup. Did that have quite? Did the two things kind of? Oh yeah. I mean, we did. I think we did uh, Mars, Totem, and uh, Pandora's Box on Dance Interior. Um, but I think I think with them 
they kind of expanded very quickly. And I think it's the old problem with distributors that they end up yeah, just just going too fast. Uh, but they were, they were a big distributor in uh, France. And France is notoriously bad for distribution for bands. So they, they were good. Plus they organised gigs. As we played quite a few gigs over there with, I can remember we played with Strangely enough, bands like the Wolfhounds and uh, Pastels. Yes. And uh, I'm trying to think. Shack as well. Oh, God. Yes. So was when with Dance Atelier, yeah, was yeah. the last album you did with them shed in another skin? Yeah, that was like a compilation of the... Of the singles we we done on the on the label, um, we then went to I think it was a couple of German labels. Was that to do the Lunar Tide album on Spectre? Lunar Tide was for a German. Yes, that was Spectre. So we ended, we ended up doing an album with them. And they had a kind of connection with bands like The Mission and people like that. Yes. Did you, at that stage... It's a bit more... A bit more oh, God, that quality just fucking broke up again. Yeah, sorry, you just broke up just then. What was that? Um, well, they were... I think I've got a feeling that at that period it was a lot more sort of gothic stuff going on, you know, sort of... Um, bands like The Mission and Nephilim and that kind of ilk and I think Germany's always been quite strong on the, the darker end of rock or alternative music yes it's uh, uh, I think we did one album with yep is the levels okay yeah no it just cracked up a bit there but you were just talking about the German slightly dark goth scene there so yes, but yeah. so like the mid '90s, this was a kind of another kind of bit of a musical shift, isn't there? Because, because on one level, yeah, I mean, the, the, one, the one thing about being a slidetrap is the lineups consistently changed all the time. So it's always kept it sort of fresh and moving into slightly different areas uh, as different people bring their own ideas to, to the to, to the melting pot. But we did uh, the one thing about been on continental labels is that we did play in France, Belgium, Holland and Germany quite a lot and then uh, I think in the early 90s once the uh, Berlin Wall came down we ended up playing in uh, Czechoslovakia about, about three times and ended up going Hungary and Austria and Poland eventually. So it kind of opened up uh, another part of Europe to us. Yes. And obviously Darkamore was another shift because I'd say Lunar Tide was more of a band album. And uh, Darkamore, which came out on Soundbuster, was more of a trans... Um, an album that introduced probably a bit more sampling and electronics 
and I think from that moment on, we've kind of continued on that path. So it was definitely a change. Yeah. And has it been a project that you've just, you know, just kind of kept running alongside everything else that you're doing in, in, your, in your life generally? Yeah, I mean, yeah, we're still, we're still playing, with, obviously, with everything that's happened. That it's uh, kind of delayed everything, but we're back playing this year, trying to get a, get a bit of momentum going again. Um, yes. We, uh, as we shifted further east, we ended up on a SPV, uh, Big Blue, which was a Polish sort of German connection. Uh, based in Warsaw so we ended up playing over there a lot that was kind of the late 90s um, and, and, and this again, was on the album Nemesis isn't it there's, uh, there's Zenith and, uh, and Nemesis yeah um, and then they re- I think initially what they did is they reissued everything all the back catalogue all the dance serious stuff and Ludotide and various other bits and pieces so that all came out again and, and then we did a couple of new albums um, and then it led us back to Glass Records <laughs> <laughs> strangely enough where it all started Yes. Have you managed to keep track on all your music? Some sort of, you know, because I know the world of publishing and ownership is quite sort of interesting but murky, you know, because you've done a hell of a lot of stuff and different yeah. bands. Well, and I've di- just been a PRS member. That's the most important thing. Yes. Be a member of the PRS and then you, you, they keep track of it for you. Right. Yeah, it's a very... It's a very um, yeah, it's a very difficult thing to keep a tab on what's what's, especially with the digital age, um, because whatever you earn streaming is is increments. I mean, I, I still believe in uh, in physical product, physical CDs or vinyl or cassettes or whatever, wax cylinder even, if you have the opportunity. But I still believe in having some, some physical objects. Yeah, to me, the digital side is, to me, it's just promotion. It's, it isn't really, you, you need to be doing millions to get anything out of it. Yeah. And so with, your, with the now being back on Glass Records, has this been kind of releasing... Some ser- uh, sort of EPs and singles. Well, there, there was a new album called Icon, which came out a few years ago. Uh, just in the process of re- reissuing stuff, um, some of the, the the singles, basically going through the singles like Morphine and Europa and things, just reissuing those things. And recently, we've just done a track because it's going to be uh, 40 years of Glass Records. And uh, Dave Dave from Glass is planning a compilation of basically bands covering other tracks. Right. Uh, so, we, so we've done a cover of uh, Religious Overdose, strangely enough, <laughs> with the timing. So we, we, we've done a version of Control Addicts, Venus, Fly, Venus Flytrap do Control Addicts. Yes, and that's, that's come out, but it will appear on the, the 
CD as well. He's planning. It should be out later this year. Fantastic. And, this, yeah, and you're working now with Andy Denton. Oh, sorry. Yeah, me and, it's just myself and Andy. And it's, yeah, uh, and we're it's, it's live. We're using backing track, which because most of it's electronic, the guitars and vocals. So that we've been doing that for quite a few years now. Yes, my God, you've done one hell of a career in music, and and you just said earlier you also you have a record shop as well. So you've obviously managed to sort of keep the sort of side hustle sort of connected to your sort of other main love in life. Well, I mean, you've got to make it, you've got to make a living as well. So it's using all that knowledge. And for the record shop, because I'm interested in music anyway, but it's using that knowledge that, in a way that you can make a living out what you do. Because being in a band is not the most kind of financially uh, viable thing all the time. Because you do you do need money to promote uh, what you're doing. Yes, absolutely. So, about, you know, with this compilation that's coming out on Glass Records, the 40th anniversary, have you got anything else in the sort of pipeline that you're working with, with Andy? Yeah, there's a couple of new tracks that are getting mixed. I think we're going to kind of concentrate on doing singles rather than albums, and when we've got enough singles together, we'll put an album out. Mm. It's just very time-consuming, the doing an album. Um and did you? I was going to say, how did you find the sort of lockdown period? Did it was it one something that you could then sort of focus on doing more music between was, yourselves, or was it absolutely? It was a bit of a shock initially because it kind of stopped all the various things I was involved in, which would have been the shop, DJing, and playing. So it all came to an end. So I really had to kind of think about what to do. So I managed to switched to online sales that sort of kept kept me going until we kind of reopened mm-hmm. um yeah certainly this year has been better to get things organized and start things happening again yes um, it was um very... well we'll see where it goes really i mean um there's there's Reissues happening. I mean, obviously, the Tempest thing is, came out, and the religious overdose thing is coming out. So there's that to kind of promote. And also, I've been doing a thing called time lapse. So I reissued Mars on Glass Records, and I then then thought, well. Am I going to do every album? It's going to take me years to actually promote each album and reissue it. So I rethought it. I thought, what I'll do is I'll do a, I'll do a, one album with tracks from the first set. It'll be tracks from the second, third, and fourth album. So uh, from Totem, Pandora's Box, and Lunar Tide on one CD. In arranged in a way that it's it's like a new album, you know, it's an album in itself. Yes, Blimey. and I'll be I'll be doing the second part of that uh, this year. Fantastic! This is all good, and it's and was that called time lapse or was that um, a, it's going to be a different title for the second one? 
it'll be, it'll be, I think it was time lapse 1988 to 94 or something like that. And then the next one would be 96 to 2008 or seven, something like that. Yes. And what's a, what's a typical fan like, you know, a Venus flytrap? What, what sort of people used to sort of, or still do, sort of follow the band? I think anybody into the kind of post-punk and alternative kind of area. Um, yeah, I think definitely the people are into that kind of kind of genre. So, I mean, we kind of put ourselves in the post-punk electronica now. I think that's our kind of area. Yes. But that's pretty that's pretty wide anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, I mean, if you could have said something to your, like, 16, 18-year-old self starting out, is there anything that you would have loved to have just whispered in their ear, even if they may have just also kind of um, kind of not taken any notice? But, you know, because you've got so much experience, you know, being in bands and, and you know, having an understanding of the, the whole sort of, I suppose, business side of it. Hello? Hello? Oh, did you catch that? Hello? Oh, he just dropped it. Yeah, he just dropped out. Yeah, I, I heard it. Um, I would say find something you like and stick to it, and but make it your own. Because the problem when you when you're in a in a band with other people and it falls apart, it's kind of a bit of a waste of all that energy. You know, yes. That, that, You've got to a certain stage and then it kind of stops. I mean, the one thing I learned is you pick up pieces and you carry on the best you can. Because ultimately, the most important thing is what you produce, the actual music. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, look. Alex, God, that's um, sorry. The quality just sort of dropped at times on this one, which I don't know why, but it did. Sort that's okay. Of... It did have a little bit of a moment. I'd hopefully it's not too bad. But thank you ever so oh, much. I've got plenty there, haven't there. I? Indeed. That was a bit frustrating at the end. Anyway, sorry about that. Quality. Anyway, um, that's life. It was a bit frustrating. Believe me, I hate that moment. But uh, massive thank you to Alex for giving me the time for that interview. This has been the C86 Show. I'm David E. So if you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do C86 Show. Also, these have all been archived. Hopefully, quality is um, okay. Uh, you can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean. And um, as I said, yes, Alex was uh, part of the Venus Flytrap and also the Tempest, um, who have got a compilation that's out on Optic Nerve Records and available from all good bookshops. No, record shops and online. Anyway, yes, thank you. Um, have a great week. Stay safe.